Hello, and welcome to the Renaissance Podcast. Thank you for joining us to worship and learn more about God as we all pursue Him together as a community. For more podcasts and services about past weeks, or to join us online on Sunday mornings, check out the Church at Home page at rendecatur.org. Or come connect with us in person on Sunday mornings in downtown Decatur. Now, enjoy the message. Good morning, Ren. How are we? Hey, if you guys don't know me, my name, my, my name is Preston Potter. I get the privilege of serving here as the student ministry director. Just take a few minutes. Uh, some of you just heard of me last week when we got installed here. Uh, for some of you, you have no idea who I am, and that's okay. Um, I'm going to tell you a little story. I grew up in Neoga, Illinois. Does anyone know where Neoga is? couple of you. Sweet. Awesome. So I am not a Decatur native. I would rather be on a farm with a bunch of animals. As much as I love Decatur, that's just not me. Um, I'll tell you real quick, I was raised in church, had a, a great faith-believing family, but I was not your cookie-cutter child that went to church. Uh, rather, I was the loudest one in the room. If you wanted to know where Preston was, you just closed your eyes and opened your ears and you can navigate and find me. Um, I wanted to be the life of the party. I wanted people to like me and I wanted to really just be the one that you're like, that's the funny guy. Um, which got me in a lot of trouble. God bless my mom, she's here. My poor parents had to deal with the wild child. Uh, young sibling energy, if any of you are young siblings, you get it. Um, us babies are kind of crazy. But growing up in the church, there was always this desire to want to feel validated. And it wasn't only in the church, it was at home with my parents and with my friends. I was always chasing some sort of validation that said, Preston, you matter, we want you, we want you around, we're proud of you. But what happened was I soon got into high school, and if any of you know how this goes, you seek validation in all the wrong things. And we're going to fast forward very quickly. And I was 17 sitting in a police station and there was police doing all these kinds of investigations on some things I had done and some accusations I had faced. And after a, a couple days of looking into it, the officer looks at me and he says, I know you somehow. And I'm like, hmm, I don't know what that is. I probably don't want to know what that is. And he says, do you know this church? And I said, yeah. And he said, you've gone to youth group there once, haven't you? And I said, yeah, I did. And I said, if I'm honest, I went there looking for something and I didn't find it there. And we paused. And then he looks at me and he said, well, the Holy Spirit's telling me he's got a plan for your life and this isn't it. And he said, so I convinced all the families to drop charges. We're getting rid of all the evidence. This that you just looked at is never going to be here again. And I walked away and I was so shook. How could a God that I didn't love somehow still choose me? I don't know about you guys, but nothing against where I was raised or any of the church, but I had this mindset that God would only love me if I performed correctly. That I could only earn God's love, it was never freely given. So what did I do as a wise young 17 year old? I left and I went right back to doing what I was doing because thank God I got a cop out and I'm good now. Let's, let's be a little more careful next time. And it wasn't until I was 18, I went to church camp with my brother and I, I, I got really connected with this youth pastor who knew every single thing about me. And yet for some reason, the pattern of his living was, here's my hand, let's walk. 
He invited me to go to dinner. He invited me to come early before youth group and we got to really connect. And then I went to church camp. And can I tell you that as a non-practicing non believer, church people's behavior is really weird. I was at church camp and they were just loving on me, hugging on me. To be honest, I was trying to find some love in my life and she wasn't interested. The girls at camp were there for the right reasons that year, um, but I had no luck. I struck out. Um, but so, so that led me to asking every single night, I said, can I go home? I told my older brother, I, I don't wanna be here. Can I go home? And I told the youth pastor, I don't wanna be here. Can I go home? And he said, give it one more day, one more day. See what the youth pastor didn't know, the reason I wanted to go home was because every message felt about me and I was incredibly uncomfortable. And I was like, I don't, I don't wanna be here because this is weird. Like the pastor's speaking right to my life. Fast forward, Thursday night, I give my life to Jesus. And I remember I sat there for hours on the floor for like three hours just crying. And the only words I could say was, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And the next night they said, hey, do any of you feel called to ministry? And at 18, I said, that's me. I feel called to help some teenager far from the Lord fall in love with Jesus. And it was a couple months later, me and my brother are doing youth ministry. And it was so cool. And then I turned 19. And at 19, I don't know if you can relate. At 19, I knew everything. <laughs> so I decided to move out. Um, because at 19, with no job, being a full-time college student, I could afford my truck payment and a house and bills. And I was happy just to get ramen from my parents if I could. Um, so at the time I met my beautiful wife, Jessica, we were dating and, and we, we just started, we lived together, everyone go, <gasps> we lived together. I don't condone it. I don't agree with it, but we did it. And then we get, we get engaged and then we get married and we decide God's calling us to Decatur to pastor. And we moved to Decatur. We got married on a Saturday. On a Sunday, we were installed as youth pastors. And to, to just flex my wisdom, I thought I could do the first year of marriage great and the first year of ministry great. And as if I wasn't smart enough, I decided we could take care of a 15-year-old that is crazy that's running from her problems. So we fostered a 15-year-old for eight months. And if you want to know what that was like, imagine you're drowning as it is and someone hands you a 15-year-old that can't swim and you're all going down. Meanwhile, you're yelling at each other, blaming your spouse because she's the reason you can't swim. So all these things to say that it's been this crazy journey of life where I've had to be humbled time and time again that you're not as smart as you think you are, Preston. You're not as strong as you think you are, Preston. A lot of humble pie over the years. And, and what's really intriguing is I've been in youth ministry since I was 18. I've been in Decatur since 2017, nonstop ministry. I've had the privilege of serving alongside some amazing churches and touching a lot of lives and being in a lot of schools and speaking at a lot of events. And it's been incredible, but I couldn't shake this feeling that I still have to work for the Lord. I hope I can pastor good enough and God would somehow be proud of me. I hope I could somehow be strong enough to overcome sin and God would somehow be proud of me. And what happened was I couldn't do it. Even as a pastor, I would trip and I would fall and I would constantly be like, there's no way God would still love me. And well, what's he do? Picks me up and he dusts me off. And yet in this, I'm sitting at a softball field 
watching the Wren people play softball. And Jeff says, hey, Preston, do you want to speak at our One Thing series? He said, I know it's going to be like the next week after you've been installed, your first week in office, but I want, you, I want to kind of slide you in there. I said, sure, what do you want me to speak about? He said, what's the one thing the Holy Spirit is developing in you? Sounds super elementary. You ever have a two-year-old ask you why? And you pause and you're like, I don't know. So like, I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, I could, I could speak on this. And then it hit me and I'm like, ooh, what is he speaking? What is he developing in me? And like a pastor, I went to my MacBook and I started typing, man, and I was typing hard and quick. And my brother was in town and Jessica, my brother hanging out. I'm in the living room, just click, 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 click. And I'm like, you guys got to hear this message. And I sit down at the, the island in our kitchen and I'm telling my brother, I'm reading through it and he pauses and he looks at me and he goes, that sounds really pretty. It sounds really nice, Preston. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He says, but you're not in it. He says, it's not personal. You're not even talking from your heart. You're just preaching. And sometimes as pastors, to be honest, we fall into this trap. We can preach the word and we can tell the truth, but somehow we go out of our way to make sure we're not in it. And my brother knew the assignment, what I was supposed to preach. And I says, I just don't, I don't, I don't think you're hitting it. I don't think you get what Jeff is asking you to preach on. So I went from wanting to talk about how to be patient with non-believers and especially patient with believers to, God, how can I just rest in the finished work of you and not worry about having to work to earn your love, to work to earn salvation? We're going to look at a couple verses today, and I hope you guys bear with us. Uh, We're going to look at Romans chapter 7, starting in verse 15. Here's what it starts out. We're going to take this really slow, otherwise you're going to get really confused. Starting in verse 15, it says this. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But I do what I hate to do. A lot of do's there. It can get very confusing. Let me make this understandable. In this first verse, he says, you know what? I don't get why I'm behaving like I am because I swear I love Jesus. I don't understand how I know what is right and I know what is wrong, yet I keep doing wrong. I don't understand this. I don't get why I would do the very thing I hate, but yet I'm stuck in this consistent pattern. We're gonna pause here because we have to understand Paul that is writing this, he's not no baby believer. If you know about Paul, Paul was a Pharisee who, who studied the Jewish law. He was very passionate about people living to what he thought was right, so much that he would murder people that weren't living up to those rules for religion. It wasn't until he had this blinding encounter on the road to Damascus where, where God stopped him in his tracks, forever changed his life, and he found out about the good news of Jesus. And that it was no longer about upholding to a list of rules, rather it was resting and the goodness of the gospel. So I say all these things to make sure you understand Paul has some life and experience in him. He's not this newfound believer that says, I just keep struggling with old life patterns. No, he is an established believer who writes over most of the New Testament letters to believers encouraging. And he says, I still can't get this right. I keep messing up. He says in verse 16, and if I, do what I don't, if I do what I don't want to do, then I agree that the law is good. I want to explain what the law is. The law is this. There was a way you had to behave to be in relationship with God. There was 
things you had to do, ceremonial laws that you had to like wash your hands before you ever prayed to God. There were a list of expectations. And what Paul says is, I know even if I'm messed up, there's still value in God's law. There's still value in this, but you have to understand what was the Old Testament when Jesus came, it became a New Testament. So there's value in this, but I no longer have to work for the goodness of God. He freely gives it to me. He says, as it is, in verse 17, as it is, it is no longer I myself who does it, but it's sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me. That is in my sinful nature. Here's what I love about Paul. He explains two things. He says, you are sinful by nature. Please don't freak out. But what this means is given the option, you're probably going to trip and fall when sin presents itself. That's who you are in your flesh. He says, but what I've come to know is there's a difference between my flesh and the Holy Spirit that's dwelling inside of me. See, what Paul really says here is, I know I can't put any confidence in myself to do what only God can do. And I wanna pause on that because Paul's desire to do right wasn't strong enough to overcome sin. Your mere desire, I wanna be godly. I wanna live for Jesus. I wanna do what's right. Your mere desire to do what's right isn't good enough. It's a fun message. Who hired this guy? But see, here's what I learned. I wanted to serve the Lord. I wanted God to be happy with me. I wanted him to be pleased with me, but I had to find out all of these things have nothing to do with me. It has to do with the Holy Spirit. See, don't you think by now, if we could have cleaned ourselves up on our own, we could have? Don't you think you, if you could have overcome, you would have by now? Anyone else struggle with this? But you're like, I really want to do right. And I, I just can't get it. And Paul says, I've, I've got to tell you, you've got your hope in yourself, not in the Lord. And I want to pose this question to you, every single one of you, where's your hope at? Is your hope on your performance or is your hope in the, the Jesus who came and died on a cross because you couldn't do it? Where's your hope at? I find that when we misplace our hope, we open portals for depression. Anxiety because I can't do it. And I'm frustrated with myself. And I'm frustrated with my marriage. And I'm frustrated with the church. And I'm frustrated with people. And here's why, because you're trying to do it without the Holy Spirit. And I'm, I'm learning this. Been in ministry this long and I'm still learning. How can I stop feeling this pressure to work and work and work? See, I think it's interesting here in Galatians chapter three, let me tell you about the church of Galatia so you have some background. Paul went to a bunch of Gentiles who were non-Jewish people who knew nothing about God. And he says, hey, I want you to know that Jesus Christ came to the earth to die on the cross. This is the beauty, the good news of the gospel. He died on the cross because your imperfections, you can never earn your way to heaven, so he freely gives it. So he tells this church, he starts a church in Galatia. And then he hears of these things going on where all these believers now are just so distraught and distracted. And he starts writing this. In verse one, chapter three, he says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. 
I want you to understand, we got to set the tone here. Paul is not angry at the church. Paul's not saying, you bunch of idiots, what are you doing? Paul is saying, hey, the term bewitch actually means stolen from. Who has stolen the joy of your salvation from you? Convincing you, you have to work. Who has robbed you of the goodness of the gospel by saying, here, do this and do that and do that. And if you mess up, start all over and try to do it again. Who's robbed you from this? He says that Jesus Christ, he was clearly portrayed as crucified. And what's the significance of this? Jesus said, Jewish law says that God is angry at you and he's ready to smite you in a heartbeat because you're sinful and you're so unworthy. And all that's true. But he says, Jesus was not portrayed to you as this angry God disconnected. He was portrayed to you as this loving savior. This doesn't even align with what you've been taught. Who's confusing you guys? He says in verse two, he said, I would like to learn just one thing from you. It'd be like Jeff when he said, hey, what's one thing the Holy Spirit's developing you? Paul asked the same question. He says, what's that one thing? And this is what I want to know. This one thing, did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by believing what you heard? He says, let's, let's just get to the, the grit of it all. How did you receive Jesus? And I want to echo that question to you. How did you receive the Holy Spirit? Did you work hard enough? And God says, now I'll give it to you. Or did Jesus seek you out and say, I'll freely give myself to you? Paul says, I just want to know one thing from you. How did you get here? How did, how did you even start? And I think we miss that. We miss the small beginnings and we get so caught up in trying to pursue religious things and study your Bible, please pray to God, worship. But none of those things bring the promise like resting in the Holy Spirit's goodness. Because what will happen is eventually you'll think, I control it all. I do it. God is at my command. I study the word, now he has to give it to me. I pray just right and he has to listen. I worship just loud enough. I exalted him in my life. Now he has to submit. That's so backwards. That's so backwards. Rather, this is about, hey, God, it's just you. It's just you. You do this, not me. He follows it up in verse three. He says, are you foolish? After beginning by the means of spirit, you are now trying to finish by the means of the flesh. Let me paint this picture so we understand what this verse means. And it's going to be really simple. Everyone imagine you're driving a car, right? I don't care what car may be. Dream about a Lamborghini. I don't care. 87 Honda. I don't mind. But when you're driving, imagine you're driving on the way to wreck your car. And Jesus says, I'll take it from here. You're going to wreck. What's coming isn't beneficial. Let me help save you. And he straightens the wheel and he gets you right back on the right path. And you say, thanks, God. I got it. I got it. I'm a good driver. And you try to yank the wheel back. And all of a sudden, before you know it, you're going right back down the path you were going before. And so Paul says, I just want to know what makes you think you can do what God started. How many times we fall in this trap? I says, my life's going to crap right now. God help me. And then when things get right, you don't even think about God because you've got it from here. I'll take it from here. 
And it's so crazy to me because what Paul says is you're seeking justification. You're seeking to be made right before the eyes of God based off of self. And I, I, I just, I have to share this because what happens is you burden yourself. And all of a sudden it really starts weighing heavy that you can't figure it out. And before you know it, you lose the joy of salvation. You lose the joy of being in relationship. Can I say that there's a difference between reverence and adoration? There is a difference. I can have reverence for God, but without intimacy, there's no adoration. So I can respect a God who created all things, but without intimacy, there's no love. He's just this entity that is above all things. And if, you, if you're not careful, you'll work, 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 and get discouraged and discouraged and discouraged, and you'll fall out of love with Jesus and become disconnected. Because I have, I've been there. Now, I, I wanna do something very quick here, and we're gonna shift gears because I, as I was talking with Jeff, um, I said, do you feel like there has to be some kind of disclaimer here? that says pursuit of holiness is so important, right? Because if we're not careful, this message, what it will look like is, I don't have to do anything. I just sit on my butt and God will figure it out and I can keep sinning and da, 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 da. And it doesn't matter what I do. And that's, that's the polar opposite of what I'm trying to say. So I wanna take a moment to explain, what does this pursuit of holiness look like for you and I? So, okay, Preston, you're telling me, I don't have to work for this. I can just let God do it but what does that look like in my life, right? We can agree, let's, let's, let's move on to this. See, I wanna, I wanna make something real clear because what the church has done is we made a pursuit of holiness all about a pursuit of a, a, a picture. It's what holiness looks like. So I gotta look like it, right? So pursuit of holiness makes, means I have to look like this. And we've made it all about a pursuit of behavior. Rather, I wanna tell you that pursuit of holiness is about a pursuit of a person and that's Jesus. You can spend all your time pursuing what you're supposed to look like and behavioral modification, but can I tell you, if you're not pursuing Jesus in his heart, nothing's going to happen. So here's what we see growing up on a farm. I remember we had a grapevine. Any of you guys ever see like the wire panel arbors where you bend the wire panel in half and it was real pretty. There's grapevines all the time growing. I used to love picking grapes, but here's what I found out. If you don't know this, you're probably gonna be like, ah, but I guarantee 90% of you know this. At the base of all massive vine, there is a, a trunk that goes into the roots, that goes into the ground. I don't know if you know how plants work, but no plant tells a trunk what to do. No little branch with, with, with blooms tells the root what to do. Rather, it starts at the root and it works its way up and out to the branches. Here's why this is important to you. Because when we look at Galatians chapter 5, 22 through 25, this talks about the fruit of the spirit. And I'll get back to this analogy real quick for you. It says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. And now since we live by step, let us keep in, or since we live by spirit, let us keep in step with spirit. Real quick, I just want to make sure we understand this. 
All these things, the love, peace, joy, these are all characteristics of Jesus. Okay? We guys, can we, under, we agree on that? This is not, this is what you're supposed to look like. This is what he looks like. Okay? This is what Jesus looks like. And here's what we know, just like the grapevine, all I have to do is abide and be in step with the Holy Spirit. And he naturally grows me in his grace. So here's what you can do. You can say, I want to have love like Jesus. And this is what Jesus' love looked like. So I'm going to practice that. And I'm going to have peace and patience like Jesus. So I'm going to figure out what that looks like. And I'm going to practice that. Or you could just stay connected and in step with Jesus himself. And he'll just do it naturally. Can I tell you that every part of me that looks like Jesus in this life is nothing of which I had tried to do. It's crazy to me. The moment I quit trying and putting all my energy into trying to forge myself to look like Jesus, rather just hang out and spend time with him, things naturally happened. And, and I'm here to tell you, this is what pursuit of holiness looks like. It looks like you just staying connected with Jesus in all things, building intimacy with him. See, I, I think it's really interesting because this is an ongoing thing. If we look at verse 25, it says, since we live by the spirit, let us keep in what? What's it say? Keep in step with the spirit. What that means is that your faith is a continuously walking with Jesus. When you wake up, you walk with him. When life looks like a wreck, you get up and you choose, I'm gonna walk with him. I'm gonna stay in step. You know what I find interesting about staying in step with Jesus? Is isn't this a pattern of Jesus? Isn't this what he tells the disciples? He walks up, he says, take up your cross, come on. In a sense, he says, come on, walk with me. Walk with me. You know what? I don't know, have any of you ever studied the disciples? Have any of you ever, ever wondered why were the disciples not allowed to be in no, normal society? Why were they outcast? Because the disciples, the fishermen, most of them were fishermen, they weren't allowed to stay in the city. You guys, any of you know that? Rather, they are told you have to stay at sea because you're not allowed in our city. Study that one. Because what it means is this society says you're worthless to us. You've done things and we want nothing to do with you. I could go into what some of those speculations are, but we won't talk about it in church. The disciples weren't great people. The tax collector wasn't a, a loved person. But what Jesus does, he doesn't come up and say, what have you done in your life? Repent to me. He says, walk with me, come with me. See, I can tell you, there's something that happens when you walk in step with Jesus. There's purification that happens when you're in his presence. You know what the promise is? It says that in him, there is no darkness. I love that. I love that I can spend time and connect to someone who doesn't have the same problems I do, who's already overcome the world, who's already overcome sin. I don't have to worry about him being a friend that pushes me to the edge. I don't, worry, have to, I don't have to worry about him being a friend that is going to push me deeper. He's a friend that isn't moved by flesh. So we chase after him. So what's the Holy Spirit developing in me? It's this ability to breathe. Everyone do this, ready? This is one of my favorite things to do with people. Everyone go. One more time. As loud as you can. 
What I'm learning is how to breathe and rest in the goodness of God. I'm learning how to breathe and find joy in my salvation, even when I'm not good enough. I'm learning how to trust that God has a plan, even if I mess it up. If he wasn't sovereign, that means he was, his plans were moved by you and I. That's terrifying. If my behavior made God say, I ain't doing that now, we'd all be doomed. But it's, it's teaching me, developing me, how to rest in the finished work of Jesus and not be tormented and plagued in life by me trying to work and do what only he can do. So I thought this message was really good, right? Really excited to preach it to you, really excited to share. And then Jeff comes in as we're sitting in his office and he says, I got a question for you. I'm like, good God, what are we doing? <laughs> Man, Jeff says, how has that changed you? Yeah. Why? That little two-year-old voice came back in, why? And I'm like, what? Man, I thought I had this figured out. But what has it changed me? And here, I want to share this with you. This stirs up an adoration in me, a deeper love that I didn't know I had for the Lord. A deeper love that wasn't relying on this. See, I love my parents, but I felt I had to work for their love. And I brought that into my relationship with Jesus. And I said, I got to work. And when I found out that his love is available, regardless of myself, I fell deeper in love with him. When you've wronged someone and they choose to love you anyway, it stirs up some emotions. See, I don't know if we realize this, but Jesus was crucified by people just like us. And while he was hanging on the cross, he said this phrase that is unlike you and I. He says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I would be like, man, forget y'all. What are you doing, you idiots? But Jesus said, man, forgive them. They don't know. This shows God's heart that even when we hated him, he died for us. He loves you that much that it's not about will you reciprocate it, he freely gives it. It stirred up this adoration. Next thing it did is it stirred up this confidence. Not arrogance, there's a difference between arrogance and confidence stirred up a confidence in me. Confidence that what God started, he's gonna finish it. See, we get this backwards. See, don't get mad, don't shoot. If you have an issue, uh, email tj at rendicator.org. He'll answer any questions. This is his message. Um, but there's a confidence that he's going to finish what he started. See, salvation is immediate. The moment you believe on the name of Jesus, it's freely given to you. Praise God. But sanctification, man, that's ongoing. Every day you wake up, God's purifying you. He's making you conform in his image, not the image of the world around you. So there's confidence in me that even when I fell today, tomorrow, God's still working. When I fell in my marriage, God's still working. When I fell as a pastor, God's still working. When I fell as a spiritual mentor and I fell as a friend, God's still working. There's confidence and hope in him. And the last thing I would add is there's been an incredible sense of peace. You guys realize that in him, there's a peace that surpasses understanding. 
regardless of what's going on around you, there is peace available to you that gets you through, that sustains you in confusion. There's a peace that says, I trust him. I know he's got this. The Bible's full of stories where he's got it. See, I find it interesting that the disciples, most of them were fishermen used to boats and water and storms and they're very confident in their abilities. And yet there was a storm that happened in the Bible where the disciples really got to freak out and they ran to Jesus and he was napping. My dude wasn't wavered. He wasn't nervous. He was napping. And they said, Jesus, there's a storm. Save us. We're going to die. Jesus gives up. He silenced the storm. There is peace in my mind that says, even when my flesh, I think I've got it together. Discipleships knew what to do in a storm. They knew how to navigate a boat, but there was an instant where they found out even my flesh isn't going to be able to do what only Jesus can. And they stop and they've come to the same realization that I pray you and I get to. And this is this, I can't do this, I need Jesus. They said, I can't do this, I need Jesus. And I pray today that you'd be encouraged. And I wanna ask this question. What's the Holy Spirit developing in you? If you don't know the answer, take my answer. Because I think the Holy Spirit develops this in all of us, how to trust in Him, how to love Him, how to take a breath and rest in Him. I pray that you know that God's got a plan for your life and it's good, it may not look good, but He's got a plan. He's gonna work it out, just trust in Him, just rely on Him. Let's pray real quick. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you. God, just for who you are, that you choose us and you choose us over and over and over again. And God, that you love us and you have a plan. And that plan isn't based off of our performance. It isn't based off if I can live up to it. It's not based off if I'm good enough, Lord. It's just freely given because that's what you do. And I pray that we would find freedom in your Holy Spirit, freedom from the things that may plague our lives that say we have to work and work and work. God, we love you and we're so grateful for what you're doing in your precious name. Thanks for joining with us today. We would love to support you and have you be a part of our community. So please check out the Church at Home page at rendicator.org. There you can ask questions, request prayer, find past messages and podcasts, and even contribute to the growth of the church through online giving. Or you can come see us in person on Sunday mornings in downtown Decatur. We can't wait to see you.